This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Wait a second. What a great way to end the week. Yeah. Truly, that was a great segment, and I'm just grateful that you came on, and I'm especially grateful for the pie. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Employee of the week. We're going to just make it of the year. Tyler Morrell of Coco's Pizza. That's it for us for the week. We'll be back. By the way, the entire episode of Let Them Eat Bugs, not quite as good as pizza, streaming now on Fox Nation. Use the promo code ORIGINALS for 30 days free. And we'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, have the best weekend with the ones that you love, and we'll see you then. Spoiler alert, he did not come back on Monday. In fact, that was the last moment from Tucker Carlson's program ever. Because as I'm sure you've heard by now, Tucker Carlson has been fired from Fox News. That's right, the most effective propagandist in American media who mainstreamed white supremacy to an audience of millions every single night has been fired from Fox News. And that, in my opinion, is very good news. Now, what's bizarre about this entire situation is that in the same day, we learned that Don Lemon was let go from CNN. But more on that in a moment, because I think that the most consequential news is Tucker Carlson being fired from Fox News, because that's going to have, I think, the biggest impact overall on American democracy. So let's get to the statement released by Fox News. Predictably, it's very vague and corporate and tells us nothing. But regardless, let's take a look at it. This was shared by CNN's Oliver Darcy, and it reads, Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have agreed to part ways. We thank him for his service to the network as a host and prior to that as a contributor. Mr. Carlson's last program was Friday, April 21st. Fox News Tonight will air live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, starting this evening as an interim show helmed by Rotate Fox News personalities until a new host is named. Yeah, so this was abrupt. They fired him and they don't even have anybody to, to replace him yet. Now, the level of damage that Tucker Carlson has done to the brains of millions of Americans really can't be overstated. And Fox News let him get away with what he's gotten away with for so long because he was popular. He brought eyeballs to Fox News, which was great for advertisers. And for years, this individual has spread white supremacist great replacement conspiracy theories, deadly anti-vaccine misinformation that probably killed hundreds, if not thousands of people in his own audience. He arguably inspired mass shootings like the one in Buffalo. He's promoted transgenocide, called immigrants dirty, dehumanized unhoused people. And he went on countless racist rants every single week for years. And now he's gone like that. And we don't even know why. He probably doesn't even know why. But I do know that this is a massive victory for America. The question is, why did this happen? Why was the most popular cable news show host in America abruptly fired? And 
we don't know the answer. We may never know the answer, but here's some additional insight that I do find interesting, courtesy of the Daily Beast. They report, the Fox Stars exit was so abrupt that just hours before the news broke, the network was still promoting his Monday night interview with GOP longshot presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Short after Carlson's exit was announced, Fox Corporation's stock price dropped by more than 3%. One Fox News reporter, shortly after Carlson's exit was revealed, told the Daily Beast they were, quote, amazed and relieved that they had the balls to get rid of the bombastic host. The Los Angeles Times, meanwhile, reported on Monday that the decision to terminate Carlson came directly from Murdoch himself. The massive payout to Dominion and the need to show shareholders that the network was serious about addressing the increasingly strident tone of its programming may have only played a part in Carlson's demise. Yeah, so we just... We don't know. We don't know why he was let go. All we can do is speculate. But I will say this. It is very likely the case, unfortunately, that we have not seen the last of Tucker Carlson. He is probably going to either launch his own independent show or get picked up by a different far-right media outlet like Newsmax or The Daily Wire. But one thing that I can say with certainty is that losing that platform, that gig that he had at, at Fox News, that is no small thing. At Fox News... He was at the top of the mountain, and wherever he lands in media, it can never compare to that Fox News platform. I mean, right there, that was the biggest he's ever going to be in terms of his media career. And sure, he could still have a long media career ahead of him. I hope that that's not the case, but he could still have a long media career ahead of him. But he can also still do damage in other ways. For example, if he chooses to get into politics, that can be an area where he bolsters his significant uh, significance and impact. It's been rumored for uh, quite some time that he wants to run for president. But, I mean, the thing about Tucker Carlson is that even though he's gone, that doesn't necessarily mean that the underlying problems at Fox News are going to be automatically solved with his departure. More than a decade ago, approximately, give or take, when Bill O'Reilly was uh, replaced by Tucker Carlson, I was very relieved because I thought that Bill O'Reilly was a danger to the American people. But it turned out that the days where Bill O'Reilly was a host was the most dangerous host. You know, that was preferable to what the Tucker Carlson era gave us because I thought that Tucker Carlson was exponentially more dangerous than Bill O'Reilly. So it's possible that the next Tucker Carlson could be even worse than what we saw. But it's also possible that no one can really scratch that white supremacist itch quite like Tucker Carlson. Either way, this is at least a temporary win for America, and it's a massive, massive setback for the white supremacist fascist movement in America. And I think that that alone is cause for celebration. But Tucker's termination, as I mentioned, wasn't the only major upset in cable news today because Don Lemon of CNN was also fired from his job. Now, in terms of influence, I don't think that Don Lemon could compete with Tucker Carlson. And I personally don't really have any strong feelings about Don Lemon. I think that he's a milquetoast centrist and he wasn't the worst, wasn't the best at CNN. But the problem is that his termination may, may be indicative of an underlying problem developing at CNN that could 
be cause for concern. But first, let's get to his announcement uh, because he tweeted out news of his termination in size 50 purple font for some reason, I guess to punish us. But he writes, I was informed this morning by my agent that I have been terminated by CNN. I am stunned. After 17 years at CNN, I would have thought that someone in management would have the decency to tell me directly. At no time was I ever given any indication that I would not be able to continue to do the work I have loved at the network. It is clear that there are some larger issues at play. With that said, I want to thank my colleagues and the many teams I have worked with for an incredible run. They are the most talented journalists in the business, and I wish them all the best. So needless to say, he seemed pretty shocked by this news, but CNN responded saying, Don Lemon's statement about this morning's events is inaccurate. He was offered an opportunity to meet with management, but instead released a statement on Twitter. But I mean, that's pretty vague, right? If it was clear that he was getting fired, how would meeting with management change that? I mean, maybe they're disputing that he said he got no indication from management that he would be fired. Either way, it just kind of seems like they're trying to save face. Now, in truth, CNN has left hints here and there over the last couple of months that they are dissatisfied with uh, Don Lemon. But it seems like the straw that broke the camel's back, at least according to Aaron Rupar, a journalist on Twitter, is an interview that he had with a Republican presidential candidate. Quote, according to the New York Times, this interview that Don Lemon conducted last week with Vivek Ramaswamy played a role in his firing. Note co-host Poppy Harlow sitting silently while Lemon goes after Vivek. So without further ado, let's watch. With due respect, including I find... I find your explanation reductive and actually insulting, including to black Americans, to say that black people today, compared to 1964, 1865, haven't made progress in part because of the freedoms we secured. And the Second Amendment was black part people, of what Hang on, that please. Freedom. I cannot keep a thought if you guys are talking to me in my ear. So uh, hang on one second. So to say that, that black people, say, say what you said again. Black people secured their freedoms after the Civil War. It is a historical fact, Don. Just study it only after their Second Amendment rights have, were secured. They were not secured their freedoms after the Civil War. That is not, you are discounting uh, uh, Reconstruction, you're discounting a whole host of things that happened after the Civil War when it comes to African Americans, including the whole reason that the Civil Rights Movement happened is because black people did not secure their freedoms after the Civil War, and, and that things turned around. People were, tried to change the freedoms that were supposed and to And you know how they the got Civil it? War they got their Second Amendment rights, and they actually got, the NRA played a big role in that. But today, down the final- The NRA did the, not play a big role they train black Americans how to use firearms. That's a lie. That's not. The NRA did not play a big role. This is just historical fact. But not historical fact. The part that I find because you say it's historical fact. The part that I find insulting is when you say today black Americans don't have those rights after we have gone through civil rights revolution in this country. You are sitting here telling an African American about the rights and what you find insulting about the the way I live, the skin I live in every day. Here's where you and I have the freedom that black and white that black people don't have in this country, and that black people do have. Well, here's where you and I have a different point of view. I think we should be able to express our views regardless of the color of our skin. We should have this debate without me regarding views, you as a black man, insulting that but you're me regarding you as a fellow citizen. That you're That's sitting what I think here, we whatever ethnicity you are, explaining to me whatever ethnicity about I'm, what it's like to be black Whatever in ethnicity I'm, I'm I'll tell you what I am. I'm an Indian American. I'm proud of it. But I think we should have this debate. Black, white, doesn't matter. I think we should have this debate. On the debate, content should, of the ideas. Do it, you should do it in an honest way and in a I fair think, way. And what you're doing is not an honest and fair way. We appreciate you coming on. With due respect, Don, I look forward to continuing that conversation. Thank you. The conversation. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Papa. We'll talk about China. Yes, let's talk about China. Time you come back. Oh, thank you. Much to say on declaring independence from China. Okay, something can you can add on. on now, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I find that really bizarre that they would fire him over that.
because that was a good segment. Like he did lightly snap at producers and he presumably removed his earpiece, although the camera was focused on Vivek when they were talking. But I mean, he was pushing back because what Vivek was saying was factually inaccurate. Maybe CNN didn't like that he was challenging him so vociferously because it makes them look biased against Republicans and they're currently trying to appeal more to Republicans. But I mean, to fire him over this or at least have this be one of the main reasons as to why he was canned, it just makes it more obvious that CNN is trying to move further to the right in an effort to appeal to right-wingers. And now that Tucker Carlson is gone, there's going to be a vacuum that's created and maybe CNN is going to attempt to fill that vacuum or try to fill that vacuum by appealing to disaffected Fox News viewers. But either way, like you're not going to appeal to Fox News viewers after years of Donald Trump calling you fake news and Republicans attacking you to think that you're going to appeal to them is just nonsensical. But either way, if CNN shifts to the right, they're only going to lose more of their core audience and their ratings are going to tank further. But either way, this news is shocking to me. And the most shocking aspect about this story is Tucker Carlson getting shit canned because it's good. I'm sorry. Like, I'm genuinely relieved to see one of the most destructive forces in the history of American media deplatformed. I know that people like Jimmy Dore are crying currently and they're going to accuse me of supporting censorship because I'm happy that he was fired. But I mean, cope and seethe. This man was an absolute monster. And I have no doubt that the person who replaces Tucker Carlson ultimately will be a monster, if not a bigger monster than him. But at least for now, we can see that one of the most destructive people in American media lost the top spot. And that is, uh, that's a good thing. You know, the crab dance song is playing in my head all day as I read this news. But I'm gonna leave you with my favorite clip of Tucker Carlson, and that is the clip of him being confronted by an American patriot about the damage that he's caused to the country. Enjoy. I don't care, man. Okay, just do it. You are the worst human being. I I want you to, we're gonna to to this state, to the United States, to everything else in this world, I don't care that you're not here. What you have done to people's families, what you have done to everybody else in this world. Don't come well, just when we thought that Steven Crowder's beef with the Daily Wire was over, he decided to seemingly out of nowhere reignite the war, specifically though with Candace Owens this time. And we're not simply talking about them taking pot shots here and there at one another on their shows. We're talking about an escalation that's so severe, it could literally pit them against each other in court. So very, very big things we're talking about here. And you love to see it, honestly. I love watching these ghouls fight. So let's get to the actual spat. It starts with Steven Crowder accusing Candace Owens of extortion. This is a word that he uses specifically when referencing something that she said. And first, though, he reveals that he and his wife are getting a divorce, something that he's kept private in order to protect his children, according to him. And that might seem irrelevant, but this is a key detail here. So let's watch. Uh, since 2021, I've been living through what has increasingly been a horrendous divorce. Now, let me say on the outset, to be clear, there is no infidelity, any kind of physical abuse at all on either side. And no, this was not uh, my choice. My then wife decided that she didn't want to be married anymore. And in the state of Texas, that is completely permitted. It's been the most heartbreaking experience of my life. What I consider to be my deepest personal failure. And just so you know, my opinions on parenting and families have not changed. Um, I've always believed that 
children need a mom and a dad, that divorce is horrible. And I still believe that children need a mom and a dad and that divorce is horrible. But in today's legal system, my beliefs don't matter. In Texas, divorce is permitted when one party wants it, period. So for well over a year, uh, well over a year, in the best interest, as well as physical safety of my children, we've decided to keep this issue private and to resolve it uh, privately with the appropriate attorneys, what have you, legal jargon. Now, before we get to the extortion claim, I have to point out that he referenced one-party divorce laws in Texas and suggests that he would have unilaterally stopped the divorce from happening if he had the legal capability of doing so. And I find that really weird because, in essence, he's admitting here that he'd force his wife to remain in the marriage against her will if he could legally do that. And that might just be him trying to virtue signal to his evangelical audience who thinks that divorce is a sin because they do. But either way, it's deeply, deeply misogynistic and just cruel. But it's very on brand for Steven Crowder. It doesn't surprise me that he would do something like this, even to somebody who he loves. And he pointed that out multiple times. That being said, though, that's a little bit of a side point. He stressed that keeping the divorce private was essential to protect the emotional and physical safety of his children. And he absolutely has a right to conceal that information from the public. It's not necessarily something that's part of our business. I don't care about that. But he's going to point out that other people in this space knew and threatened to use that information against him, specifically Candace Owens. Here's what he says. Many other people knew about this behind the scenes. Some, not all, but some of them in positions of power, influence, leverage, knew of this. They also knew that the safety of my children included keeping it private. So if you're familiar with the idea of extortion, then you know the feeling well. Uh, now, some of these threats were so thinly veiled that I'm frankly surprised you didn't all guess immediately. Stephen has a lot going on, I guess is the best way to say it. He has a lot going on, and that should be clear because people don't do stuff like this if there's not a lot going on in their lives. I would like to implore my audience and everybody that isn't paying attention to this situation not to condemn him, but to pray for him. Sometimes people need a prayer. Sometimes people need a scripture. You know, Stephen purports to be a Christian. I am unsure at this moment if, if it is my place to say more than that. You know, maybe if I feel in further defense, something should be said, or maybe if I feel that the public has a right to understand certain circumstances. Oh, my children have a right to privacy. Now, some other uh, issues have been, uh, or I should say, uh, inferences have been more pernicious behind the scenes with demands and threats to use this information that they believe would be uh, so publicly embarrassing to me and my wife at a difficult time that it could be used, knowingly putting my children in harm's way. So to those self-styled Christians, conservatives, and allies, well, not in my book. Now, if you find yourself, I don't want to get into details, so this is going to likely be the only time I have to address this or want to address this. If you're asking yourself, hey, did X person or did Y person know? The answer is likely yes, which will be made alarmingly clear as this process of discovery continues. 
Uh, and it also, by the way, makes me that much more appreciative of those who did know about this and in understanding the best interests of my family, my children, kept their word and used discretion. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Sincerely, I appreciate it. Won't forget it. And uh, I will say that what's in the best interest of my children um, is not internet drama, speculation, certainly not blatant or veiled shakedowns or dragging their father or mother, and I can't be clear on that enough, or their mother through the mud. And to anyone who tries it, I'm no longer going to pacify, capitulate, or sidestep because I love them a whole lot more than I love you. And I will continue to do whatever is necessary to protect my children, Discussing the divorce any further on social media or on this show or in any public space is not what's best for them. I'll be handling this through the proper legal avenues and channels available as a matter of record in which I have more than full confidence. So I'd ask that you understand the need for and uh, respect our privacy in what is obviously a pretty tough time. And I hope that none of this has to go any further than that. So make no mistake about it, he is ever so subtly suggesting that he's willing to take legal action against Candace Owens if she continues to speak out against this. So he viewed her tacit reference to his divorce as a threat. And if he didn't stop attacking the Daily Wire in his mind, he viewed her comments as, well, I'm going to spill the beans about your divorce. That's how he perceived it. And I think that that is a fair way to interpret her comments. Now, I'm not sure if that'll actually hold up in the court of law. I think that she has some plausible deniability, but at the same time, it's not unreasonable to assume from his perspective that she is making a thinly veiled threat here. Although he suggests that he can confirm that Candace knew for sure, which I mean, it's likely that she did know, but in that video, he kind of admits that she probably knew, not necessarily bulletproof in the court of law but when it comes to candace owens she addressed his accusation in video and on twitter we'll get to twitter first she says stephen crowder accusing me of extortion is so patently insane that it honestly makes me question how there are still people who cannot see how thoroughly undone he has become this is not stable behavior he is a man on a spiral outright bizarre and concerning if you are going to use your children as human shields to block people from digging further into your divorce please do so without inserting me into the narrative. To remind people, the video Steven used in his show of me was a video of me responding to Steven's first set of bizarre attacks against the Daily Wire. Steven is not the victim. He never was the victim. He's just a bad person who continues to burn a lot of people. Okay, now to be totally honest, I think that Candace Owens is playing dumb here. I think that it's highly likely that she did know about his divorce and that was her implicitly threatening to leak that news to the public about his divorce to make him look bad if he didn't be quiet about the Daily Wire. But I also think that she's right, that Steven Crowder is using his kids to shield himself from this in order to cultivate sympathy, I guess, which is kind of weird. Like, I, I get that protecting your kids is a necessity, and I understand how, um, you know, keeping this from getting into the public sphere is a good thing for your children. But at the same time, saying that, or implying rather, that this is going to threaten their physical safety is just bizarre. And I think that she's right about that. So there's, I, I could see both sides of the argument here and not to be offensive or I hate both of these fucking people and hope that they both burn in hell forever. But I mean, you can kind of see how both of them are 
they're both trying to use this, right? They're trying to finesse the situation to their own benefit. Remember, we're talking about inherently dishonest people here. So whenever they lob accusations against each other, it's not unreasonable to automatically assume the worst about both of them here. But the drama doesn't end there because things quickly escalated when she responded on her show and she also threatened legal action, but much more explicitly than Steven Crowder did. That's it. That's the big scary story. I then went onto my platform and I said, pray for Steven Crowder, honestly, because that's what he needs. He needs a prayer. And apparently nobody's answering those prayers right now because he's still acting erratic. He's now upping the ante and suggesting that I extorted him. I will not take that lightly, okay? I am not Hillary Crowder. I am not anybody in his family. I am not going to take somebody going onto his platform and alleging that I either harassed threatened or did anything that would put his children at risk. That is very serious stuff that he is saying. And so what I did this morning after this clip was sent to me is I contacted a defamation lawyer and I am sending Stephen Crowder a cease and desist. And I'm going to demand a full-throated retraction to the idea that Candace Owens threatened him or extorted him. And not that I simply did a little math. One plus one equals two. A crazy man doing these sorts of things to his friends obviously means that something is going on personally. Honestly, this time, I'm not even going to suggest that anybody should pray for him. I am so deeply troubled by the idea that he is trying to insert me into this narrative pertaining to his divorce. I'm frankly angry about this. So I'm going to hope that he does the right thing, okay, that he does another one of his live feeds on the exact same platform and via the exact same medium and offers me an apology and takes back every single word that he says. Mm. I'm enjoying this so much. It is all so goddamn delicious. Listen, Candace, I think you should do it. I think you should definitely sue him for defamation. And Stephen, make sure that you also take legal action against her immediately. And let's make sure that we all harden our stances further and involve the legal system so as to make it as ugly as possible. I want them both to lose. I want them both to fight as much as possible. I just, I love watching all of this. I'm, I'm here for the ride. Now, it's difficult to know whose side grifters in their orbit are going to be on but based on one preliminary response from a stinky motherfucker on the right it seems as if they're siding with steven crowder because the quartering defended crowder on twitter and he took a thinly veiled shot at candace owens writing it's absolutely disgusting that people on the right would use steven crowder's divorce as leverage against him to use it against him to embarrass him divorce happens it doesn't even sound like it was his choice you expect it from the left but totally shameful from the right yes because we all know that the left is known for using people's divorces against them it's just it's so good lines are being drawn and if you're on the right you've got to pick a side i'm sorry i don't make the rules they do now look i want to make it very clear that i don't care about either one of these individuals or anyone involved uh the optimal outcome for me and really for american democracy to be clear uh, would be for each of them to inflict the maximum amount of damage on each other so they both hemorrhage as much money and support as they possibly can while dividing their conservative fan bases in the process that's honestly what i want to see and considering the amount of rot that they've inflicted on the brains of, Amer of Americans with their propaganda. I don't feel bad saying that. I don't feel as if I'm being overly petty. These are bad people we're talking about here. And the hate that they've spread towards marginalized people, the LGBTQ plus community, like I don't find it wrong to relish in their misery currently, including Steven Crowder's personal misery. The 
vile hate that he has spewed for years, the bigotry that he has espoused on his large platform, has literally incited harassment against multiple people, including gay people like Carlos Maza, and it made Carlos Maza suffer for years. His phone number was leaked. He was harassed for years. So the fact that Steven Crowder's divorce has caused him great pain is just a small taste of the misery that he's inflicted on other people. So I've got no sympathy for him. And I'd say that I hope this suffering will lead to his enlightenment because, you know, oftentimes there's this trope that, you know, when you suffer through something, you'll come out stronger and have more wisdom. But this individual is not an honest actor, right? It's not like he's going to be enlightened and this experience is going to get him to understand the impact that he has on the world. We're talking about somebody who has paid millions of dollars to lie for a living. So we all know that none of this is going to change him for the better. So I can't feel any sympathy for him. When a normal person goes through an experience like this, they grow, they change, they learn more about themselves and their partner. Steven Crowder is incapable of introspection, so I don't expect him to be a better person at the opposite end of this. But with that being said, I'm not surprised that Steven Crowder's wife would leave him because this is a miserable, hateful piece of shit and he's clearly struggling with homosexuality, bisexuality, or gender dysphoria. And rather than embracing himself, he's choosing to suppress his true nature and attack anyone who's brave enough to be their authentic selves. He's jealous. He's envious of queer people, which is probably why he lashes out against them so much. And furthermore, I've just got to point out that in 2015, he wrote this sanctimonious article for Fox News suggesting that his marriage was oh so special because him and his wife decided to not live together and didn't have sex until marriage. And he wrote, let me preface this column by saying this my wife i have to get used to saying that and i not only waited sexually in every way no we didn't pull the bill clinton and technically avoid sex sex but we didn't shack up as live-ins and most importantly we courted each other in a way that was consistent with our publicly professed values we did it right feeling judged i couldn't care less you know why because my wife and i were judged all throughout our relationship people laughed scoffed and poked fun at the young celibate naive christian couple yeah, not so smug now, are we, Steven Crowder? Now, I'm sure that he felt judged because in true evangelical form, this insufferable prick pretended as if not fucking his fiance made him somehow superior to everyone else and he probably wouldn't shut the fuck up about it and made being celibate his entire identity and anyone who didn't agree with him or didn't want to hear about that or didn't do it exactly as he did were probably judged by him. So... By them responding, I'm sure he's saying, oh, well, I felt judged. But really, I know people like this, right? I grew up in evangelical circles. These folks made it seem as if their relationships were better than everyone else's relationships because, you know, they did it the right way, God's way. But it turns out that that doesn't actually matter. And, um, yeah, you were the judgmental prick. And now you kind of have to eat crow. Now you've kind of been proven wrong. In fact, your entire worldview has been proven wrong. But I mean, I can't speak to Crowder's wife, but I can guarantee that she is way better off without him. And I'm sure that she's happier now and I wish her nothing but the best because Steven Crowder is an objectively terrible human being. And anyone who's not in his vicinity, I think is probably much better. And I hope Crowder continues to stoke right-wing infighting. And I hope that the Daily Wire people respond by escalating. And I hope that all of their little sycophants watch in horror 
as they both burn each other to the fucking ground. Because again, we are talking about terrible people whose purpose as right-wing propagandists seemingly is to inflict as much pain and suffering on people as they possibly can. So when they get a taste of their own medicine, when karma comes back to bite them in the ass, I don't feel bad for them. So I say, let them fight. Self-proclaimed theocratic fascist Matt Walsh got his world rocked during a speaking event for the Young America's Foundation at the University of Iowa. And usually these far-right propagandists feel very comfortable debating college students with no media training or memorized talking points because they feel like they can score some easy dubs against them. However, from time to time, one or two students will come along and throw these conservative NPCs off by asking a question not accounted for in their predetermined dialogue tree. So we're going to watch the full exchange here in a moment. But first, let me just point out that the entire stream on the Young America's Foundation YouTube channel is 58 minutes and 36 seconds. And the moment where this Chad debates the Virgin Matt Walsh starts at around the 41 minute mark. But what's weird is that there's an abrupt cut in the stream. And we don't actually get to see the first portion of their interaction. Now, the question is, did they do it to shield Matt Walsh? I'm not sure. Uh, there was also a lot of technical difficulties, so it's difficult to hear the student here in this exchange. Um, and I kind of scanned ahead and there was no technical difficulties afterwards, none beforehand. So it is a little bit bizarre. Now my, my tinfoil hat, haven't put it on yet, but it just seems very uh, conspicuous, right? It seems like maybe it's plausible that they were trying to protect Matt Walsh. However, with that being said, we're going to see how this was still very bad for Matt Walsh. What we saw does not make him look good at all. So without further ado, let's watch it. And then I'll give you some additional context when we come back. And I'll, I'll answer this and then we'll be... Don't we, don't we do this all the time? You, 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 what you're asking me is, do we, do we put, um, as you say, the benefit, the well-being of human beings above the truth, and what I'm telling you is that that is the ultimate false dichotomy. We do not have to choose between those two. In fact, there is the, the ultimate well-being for a human being is to live in the truth with a deep recognition of truth. And that, that's how you... I mean, we, this isn't a new thing. I mean, we've, we do this already with uh, religion, for example. Um, right. We've never seen anybody walk on water. Never seen anybody walk on water, but there are okay, so many. There are so many stories of people who have been changed by, uh, you know, by God. They've seen the light of God, and so okay. we sort of turn a blind eye Listen. to science, right? Or We're gonna need science because okay. it's for our benefit. We're gonna we're gonna let someone else ask a few a few questions. Sounds but like I they're kind of scared of the answer. Before you walk away, though, hey, hey, wait a minute, 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 wait, wait. Because any, anyone who comes up, and if you want to argue with me about the trans stuff, it's, it's great. You know, I'm, I'm glad we can have the conversation. But we're talking about truth. We're talking about uh, uh, biological sex. So I always have to ask the question at the end. I mean, everyone knows what the question is going to be. But so what, what, what is a woman? What, can you define the term? I think the answer to what is a woman is um, a person who aligns with feminine traits that we traditionally associate with females, or that people that align with the feminine side of the spectrum. So that's my answer. Um, and I think that answer should 
the definition of everything changes over time. And okay. as All we right. continue to learn more about what humans can really be, um, I think that can continue to uh, grow. And I hope, I hope you understand that. Okay. But, but uh, I just want to make clear that you I, I can't told hear, me to I leave can't, as soon I as I brought you. up a point that you didn't want to respond to. So. I couldn't hear what you could say. Say your last comment. I'll... I was just saying I want to point out that you asked me to leave as soon as I brought up something you didn't want to respond to. So. What? So what did I, I want to respond I to? Freely leave. I, absolutely... I, I mentioned religion being um, a source of where we deny or look past science uh, for the greater sense of humanity. Uh, and I, you asked me. I to did leave. respond to that. Okay. I, I responded respond to that quite, to quite directly. So. I'm sorry I can't hear you. All right. Thank you for your question. Next question. So, I still can't hear you. I can't. I, I can't hear you. You got to speak up. All right. Thank you for your question. God damn, Matt Walsh got absolutely bodied. And this just goes to show you that these fascist evangelicals, they're all paper tigers. They may project confidence while making these genocidal arguments, but no matter how much they try to sound confident or apply some sort of a logical or intellectual veneer to their bigotry, at the end of the day, that doesn't change the fact that their arguments are purely emotional. They're based on an irrational phobia of queer people. And that is something that we all can use to our advantage. Now, the reason why Matt Walsh refused to respond to that very simple question is because he didn't have an answer. That student right there dismantled the entire worldview of Matt Walsh. And the reason why that's so powerful is because Matt Walsh saw his own standards be used against him to dismantle his own argument. So he uses the pretense of science and biology to delegitimize transgender people. But if his adherence to science is so rigid, then how do you explain your belief that Jesus Christ walked on water and then rose from the dead and flew up into heaven? It doesn't make sense, right? You can't say that the science is clear, make it seem as if you believe in science, but then adhere to a book, like live your whole life based on a book where you think talking animals are literally a thing. I, I mean, it's, it's clown shit, right? So you don't, you don't get to make a scientific case against trans people given that you subscribe to a book where they tell you that talking animals are real, right? So it just goes to show you that these people are not rational. These people are purely emotional theocrats that want to see their evangelical worldview imposed on all of us. And that is what that college student beautifully and eloquently demonstrated there. Now, that individual is seemingly a fan of Vosh because he was on Vosh's subreddit and he did a little bit of an AMA after he got back and he provided proof that it was him that was there. Uh, now, I want to share a couple of things that he said because he gives us some additional context that we were missing from that video. So first and foremost, with regard to the suspicious technical issues that they were experiencing, he doesn't actually believe that it was intentional. So in response to a question asking about whether or not Matt Walsh was pretending to not hear him in order to deflect, 
he responded by saying, honestly, I was having trouble hearing him at times too because of the crowd, so I think it was just the genuine miscommunication. Now, he also addresses the missing footage and tells us what he said, writing, I'm not sure what happened with the missing footage. To sum it up, I opened the debate by pointing out how high trans suicide rates are and how gender-affirming care greatly reduces those rates. Walsh tried to make that data look false. It's a huge common consensus that has been studied incredibly well. We argued about that for a bit. Then, based off the fact that gender-affirming care is so successful, I asked him something along the lines of, shouldn't we value what's best for humanity over our intuition on what's true? He, of course, responded no, and then I made my point about how we already do this with religion. So now we know what he said. We don't know why they cut out that portion, though, or if it was just an honest mistake. Now, last but not least, he offered some advice to anyone else that might want to confront Matt Walsh or any of these ghouls if they come to their college. He says, just be prepared to be heckled and for the crowd to try to make you feel weak. When he inevitably asks you what is a woman, answer in a way that either makes the question look stupid or Walsh's definition look indefensible. They'll never listen to an actual definition if you try to give one. So, yeah, and I think that that's good advice. When they project confidence confidence and authority and they have an audience to back them up, it's really easy to feel intimidated. But at the end of the day, keep in mind that these bigots don't actually have logic and evidence on their side. They are petulant authoritarians who are trying to force Christian theocracy on all of us. For example, Matt Walsh called for Lizzo to be thrown in jail because she brought drag queens on stage in Tennessee in protest of their anti-drag queen law. So, I mean, this is not a serious person. This is not a person who has any appeal outside of his bubble. So keep that in mind if you plan to debate one of these dipshits if they come to your college. But either way, this proves that you can have confidence, you can have everyone on your side cheering you on, but at the end of the day, their arguments are built on a house of cards that can collapse at the most minimal amount of scrutiny. If you disallow the use of the medical care that is accepted by every major medical association, if you disallow that care and don't allow people to, to have access to that, the only therapy left is either A, meaningless, or B, conversion therapy, which is torture. Intersex people exist, trans people exist, and this bill doesn't change that. Uh, at the very end of the bill, uh, the letter that says life-altering medical procedures should wait until they are adults. Um, what I will say is if you are, by this bill and by the, what these amendments do, if you are forcing a trans child to go through puberty when they are trans, that is tantamount to torture. If you vote yes on this bill and yes on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. You just listened to a speech from Zoe Zephyr. She is Montana's first openly transgender lawmaker ever, and we heard her eloquently explain the dangers of their proposed ban on gender-affirming care for minors. But apparently they didn't listen because the bill passed, and Montana's Republican Governor Greg Gianforte has signaled that he will be signing it into law when it comes to his desk. And like that, Montana becomes another state that banned gender-affirming care for minors in a year poised to be one of the most deadly for trans people in American history. The ACLU has tracked a total of 469 anti-LGBTQ plus bills proposed in state legislatures across the country this year, and the overwhelming majority of these bills are anti-trans. And in Montana, 
They can't feign ignorance here. None of them can, really. But in this instance, they had an actual trans person explain to them the dangers of this bill. But not only did they refuse to listen, they punished her for speaking out. I report they punished her for what we heard her say. Vice reports, GOP politicians in Montana aren't allowing the state's first openly transgender representative to speak about bills on the House floor for the rest of this year's legislative session after she spoke out against a bill that bans gender-affirming care for minors, saying those who voted for it would have blood on their hands. What ensued were repeated GOP-led attempts this week to silence the first-term representative. On Tuesday, House Majority Leader Sue Vinton called Zephyr's comments inappropriate before the deeply conservative Montana Freedom Caucus called for Zephyr's immediate censure. The caucus deliberately misgendered her in their public statement while ironically calling for civil discourse. Efforts to block Zephyr's participation continued Thursday when she tried to debate yet another anti-trans bill, Senate Bill 458, which narrowly defines sex based on whether a person produces sperm or eggs. But instead of calling on her to speak, House Speaker Matt Regeer, a Republican, ignored ignored her. When Zephyr's fellow Democrat, House Minority Leader Kim Abbott, asked why Zephyr wasn't recognized, Regeer said he had the right as House Speaker to disallow representatives from speaking, citing legislative rules. He also said multiple discussions with other lawmakers led to his decision. The House Rules Committee ultimately backed Regeer's decision on a party-line vote despite Democrat opposition. While Zephyr hasn't formally been censured yet, Regeer has said he won't call on her in floor debate until until she apologizes. Yeah, so in other words, she hurt their feelings and they're mad. They also don't like being reminded that they're on the wrong side of history and they are literally aiding a genocide against a vulnerable group of people on the basis of their identity. That has got to make them feel uneasy unless they're completely sociopathic. I'm assuming most of them are, but I mean, let's be clear here, what they're doing this is violence. This isn't ordinary bigotry that we're talking about here. When gay couples were first denied equal marriage rights, that wasn't correlated with an increase in suicidality. In this instance, however, it has been shown that gender-affirming care has a direct impact on trans youth. It decreases depression and suicidal ideation. This is true for trans adults as well. Therefore, if you block this medically necessary health care, that's not just a simple denial of civil rights. It is a death sentence for some trans people. But despite that reality, they are continuing to pass these bans regardless, and they know what they're doing. And the goal is to erase trans people out of existence, either legally legally or by compelling them to commit suicide by denying them this life-saving health care. This is a genocide, and Zoe is right to let them know that blood will be on their hands as a result of this, but they don't care, and they've shown that they don't care, but that still doesn't make it any less true even if they don't care, and obviously they've got to care at least a little bit because when that is pointed out to them, well, that's what they do. They silence her. But Zoe is not taking this lying down, and neither is her constituents, because a petition with 3,200 names all demanding that Speaker Regeer let her speak stretched from the House all the way to the rotunda. So, needless to say, there's been backlash here in the same way that Tennessee Republicans faced backlash after they voted to expel two black lawmakers. Now, she spoke more about this uh, in an interview with Jake Tapper, and I think that what she says here is really important because we can talk 
talk about, you know, why it's bad that they silenced her. We can talk about the statistics and why it's necessary for people to have access to gender-affirming care, but nothing can compete with a trans person sharing her lived experience. So let's listen. Speaker Aguirre has stated that he's not going to recognize me on any legislation, regardless of topic. And what I will say is I was elected on behalf of my constituents to come here and debate bills and have the hard discussions. And I will punch in on every bill that my community would want me to speak on. Uh, and what the speaker does with that is uh, up to him. So let's talk about um, what you said, because, uh, you know, I think the... Montana Freedom Caucus is is correct that you tried to you tried to shame the legislative body. I'm not judging whether that was right or wrong, but you definitely were. Why do you think it is tantamount uh, to torture? Uh, why do you think that lawmakers who vote against allowing trans kids or kids who identify as a different gender than the one they were assigned at birth uh, having puberty blockers, for example, why would that cause there to be blood on their hands? So I know as a trans person, the joy and how we come alive uh, when we are allowed to transition. And I know the pain that comes with not being able to transition. Um, also in terms of blood on their hands, I have lost several trans friends to suicide this year. I have had trans family members tell me, or trans uh, Montanans and pa their parents, tell me about suicide t attempts in their family, including one trans teenager who attempted to take her life while watching a hearing on one of these anti-trans bills. That's the impact that this legislation has, and that's why I rose to defend my community and hold the Republicans accountable for their actions. So, obviously a lot of opposition to the transgender community is rooted in ignorance and bigotry, without question. What might you say to somebody who says, look, there just isn't enough research on uh, trans kids getting these procedures done, whether it's puberty blockers or, you know, a more um, severe step, uh, such as a, a sex reassignment surgery. And sometimes it happens every now and then that somebody regrets it. Uh, and we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. What would your message be to that person? I would say first and foremost, we acknowledge when it comes to other procedures, any other type of medical care, we go with the recommendations of the major medical associations. And every major medical association says that gender affirming care is important. It's life saving for trans people. And when it comes to people saying, well, if there's some person may regret, there may be a detransitioner down the line. You look at something like knee surgeries that have a huge 5% um, regret rate. The regret rate for transition is minimal. The regret rate for gender-affirming surgeries is less than 1%. Um, this care saves lives. We know it. We know it reduces suicidality. We know the regret rate is minimal. This care is important, and my community needs access to it. I appreciate Jake Tapper bringing her on and giving her a platform. And I'm sure that with these questions he was asking, he was just playing devil's advocate. But all of those questions that he asked should have already been answered by the network. Because during this unprecedented wave of attacks that we're seeing on trans people, it is incumbent on every single pundit in America to supply viewers with the objective facts about gender affirming care. That is very, very important. It's a matter of life and death. But with that being said, Zoe proved how important it is to speak to someone with this lived experience. You can talk about statistics and studies until you're blue in the face, but hearing from a trans person 
and their perspective, that is crucial here. But getting back to her being silenced, this move comes, as I stated, weeks after Tennessee's legislature voted to expel two black lawmakers. But that didn't work out too well, and uh, I guess that Montana didn't see how Tennessee's GOP had to learn the hard way that using undemocratic tactics to silence political opponents is always going to backfire because not only are you turning these lawmakers into martyrs, but you're also shining a light on your own disgusting behavior here. But I don't expect that to dissuade them because Republicans are ghouls and they will continue to do ghoulish, disgusting things because it seems like the only purpose of this party in 2023 is to inflict as much pain and suffering on normal people as they possibly can. With that being said, I stand in solidarity with Zoe and I really, really appreciate her voice because it's gotta be intimidating being the only trans lawmaker in your state to speak up, but her voice is invaluable there. And I would implore other people across the country to speak up because now is the time to not remain silent. Now is the time to speak up as loudly as possible before things get even worse in this country. Yeah, it's been a terrible week. It's been actually a couple of weeks now, probably the most difficult two weeks we've ever um, experienced in our life uh, in, this, in this industry. Why? Why um, is it the most difficult period of your life? You know, Anheuser-Busch, they held a social knife over all of our heads here and they dropped it very irresponsibly. It, it threw us into turmoil by standing on our biblical faith. It put us at odds with other people that didn't that they didn't take that stance and that brought us into hell on earth you know us lefties have been uh laughing it up a lot lately making fun of hypersensitive right-wingers melting down over bud light's brand deal with trans influencer dylan mulvaney but you know as we laugh it up we're forgetting that normal people are getting hurt People like Joe Pinovich, the owner of Grill's Restaurant in Florida, who we just heard from, and he described this entire ordeal as the most difficult weeks of his life. Still think this is funny, leftists? I feel so bad for him. <laughs> Listen. These right-wing piss babies will spend an entire year shrieking about cancel culture and left-wing snowflakes only to become the very embodiment of that left-wing caricature themselves. It's amazing, isn't it? But that's to be expected when every accusation is a confession. But this whole kerfuffle over Bud Light has culminated in political commentary from right-wingers that is so fucking absurd it is quite literally indistinguishable from parody at this point. So I'm gonna give you an example here. So we're gonna look at an actual video put out by the governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who, by the way, brought back child labor in her state. The children look incredibly enthusiastic about this. Anyways, in this video, she's going to announce that she's selling koozies promoting real women. America presents Real Women of Politics. Politics. Today, we salute all the real woman leaders of this great country. Real women don't have to fake it. Real women doing real things. Real women work too hard for this. Some big companies can't tell the difference between real and fake anymore. Real people know the difference. That's why we're introducing 
The Real Women of Politics Koozie. Real Women of Politics. Now, you can salute the Real Women of Politics at every backyard barbecue and tailgate. And if it covers up the label of a big woke company, well, that works too. Real Women of Politics. Order your Real Women of Politics koozie today. That was a banger. Okay, so right off the bat, there's so much to say about this. Uh, first of all, if I told you that that was a corny SNL clip satirizing the rights hysteria over Bud Light, I think that you'd believe it if I gave you no additional context. Now, second of all, if you're hiding the woke beer that you buy, doesn't that undermine the entire fucking point of the boycott in the first place? Seems kind of counterproductive. Uh, lastly, I have to admit that if I were forced to choose between just one of these koozies, I'm not going to lie, I would cop the K-Ivy koozie specifically because out of all of those women, she's the realest. We're getting a, <coughs> excuse me, a slight increase in the number of doses that we'll be getting to the state. Here you go, Kay. Put it on. It's your crown, queen. You've earned it. Now, listen. I'm still thinking about the video. The problem with basing who is or isn't a real woman on gender norms is that it's only going to come back to bite conservative women in the asses at some point because not that long ago, the definition of real women in the eyes of conservatives was very different. A hundred years ago, Republicans might have argued that you're only a real woman if you stay at home and take care of your family and not be a governor. In fact, the first female governor in U.S. history, Nellie Ross, wasn't elected until 1924, and she was a Democrat. The first Republican woman to become a governor was Vesta Roy in 1982, 57 years later. But here's the catch. She wasn't actually elected. She only served as governor temporarily after the incumbent had died. It wouldn't be until 1987 when Republicans would elect their first female governor, Kay Orr in Nebraska. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders was only five years old at that time. So for the entirety of her life, she's seen Republicans embrace female governors as real women. But not that long before she was born, her party pretty much had very different views, much more traditional, antiquated views about the role of women, specifically in politics. Now, I bring this up not to mansplain misogyny to Sarah, but rather to point out the very obvious fact that gender norms are in a constant state of flux. And some, arguably most people, don't meet society's criteria for the gender that they were ascribed at birth. Kay Ivey's short hair, for example, was often historically associated with masculinity. Women wearing pants was considered taboo once before as well. Hell, conservatives attacked Daniel Radcliffe's girlfriend because she's taller than him, and thus, since she's taller, she couldn't possibly be a quote-unquote real woman. She has to be trans when, in fact, this is a cis woman. But even if she were trans, that literally wouldn't matter because trans women are women. And like cis women, trans women also aren't perfectly feminine. I mean, look at me. There are masculine and feminine qualities about me that are pretty apparent. I have a beard, which is oftentimes associated with masculinity, but I also have a higher pitched voice compared to cis males, other cis males at least. So at the end of the day, we're all just people and gender is a social construct, so none of this really matters. But 
very few of us are perfectly masculine or perfectly feminine. That's the point. But for conservatives, this is all about social control and actuality. For example, listen to the justification that Ben Shapiro gives while supporting local bans on men wearing women's clothing in public. Should wearing dresses and skirts be illegal for men in public? If so, should wearing pants for women be illegal in public? Well, pants not so much because there is a female version of pants that is nearly indistinguishable in many cases from, from male pants. Um, but men wearing traditional female clothing in public, I think that there's a case that local, zone, that, that local communities should be able to stop that. Sure, I mean, we have local laws about being naked or, or indecent exposure, or at least we used to. So pants for women are fine because there's a female version of pants, according to Ben Shapiro. Okay, hear me out. What if they made a male version of dresses and it became culturally permissible for men to wear dresses and most men wore dresses? I mean, in his very argument, He's demonstrating how gender and gender norms are in a constant state of flux. Besides, has any of these motherfuckers ever heard of a kilt? I mean, that video there, though, is really important because it demonstrates the irrationality of their arguments. It's driven purely by emotion and they just want to control people. That's what this is about. Enforcing rigid gender norms is one element of their control. It's one aspect of the theocracy that they want to impose on all of us. But Getting back to Bud Light, in the end, cancel culture won because Bud Light caved to the mob, which is what conservatives say you should never, ever do. MSNBC columnist Caitlin Burns writes, Bud Light recently made a play for queer consumers when it produced a single can of the brand's beer featuring trans TikTok influencer Dylan Mulvaney's likeness. On April 1st, Mulvaney made an Instagram post promoting Bud Light to her nearly 2 million followers, but the company's response to the conservative backlash that followed suggests that its campaign didn't come with any real commitment to inclusion. Shocker. The Associated Press reported Saturday, citing media reports, that Alyssa Heinersheed, Bud Light's vice president of marketing who oversaw the partnership with Mulvaney will be replaced and is taking a leave of absence. The Wall Street Journal reported Sunday that Daniel Blake, an Anheuser-Busch marketing executive, also took a leave of absence. Yeah, so at the end of the day, they capitulated. And they didn't have to, but I mean, when it comes to these corporations, they don't care about anything but money. So what conservatives don't understand is that Bud Light, they never actually cared about trans people or trans rights. They did a brand deal with Dylan Mulvaney to market their products to LGBTQ plus people who they also want to profit off of because there's a lot of gay people in this country. 20% of Gen Z, they identify as LGBTQ plus. So of course, Bud Light wants to sell them their products as well. It's a huge demographic, but organized backlash to Bud Light ended up undermining profits in the end, which is why they ultimately caved. But in doing so, they alienated LGBTQ plus people now by abandoning us the second it became convenient for them to do so. See, the thing about social justice causes is that there's zero sum games by their very nature. You're either on the right side of history and you stand for equality, or you're on the side of bigots. There's really no way to appease both sides here. But Bud Light prioritized short-term profits despite the long-term damage that this will inevitably do to their brand because I do believe that there will come a day when trans people will be perceived by the overwhelming majority of Americans as valid. In fact, most Americans already support trans rights, but when it comes to specific issues with regard to trans sports, trans healthcare, 
conservatives have been chipping away at their support. But like all social justice issues, I do believe that we will win on this particular issue. But as obtuse as conservatives are, they are right about one thing, and that's that representation does matter. That's the reason why their reaction to this was so strong, because they know that the mere presence of a trans person on a product, I guess, historically perceived as a conservative brand, I don't really know, honestly, that normalizes them. That normalizes trans people, which is precisely the antithesis of the genocidal rights current mission. But in conclusion, this battle won't be won in the realm of corporate America. It'll be won on the ground with grassroots activists and at the legislative level, which is where the rest of us really should dedicate most of our time towards. But I don't think it's wrong to laugh at these dipshits when they shriek about the most innocuous shit imaginable. I mean, imagine if, I don't know, some corporation, McDonald's, did a brand deal with Charlie Kirk. Do you think that anyone would shriek that loudly on the left or liberals? Do you think that anyone would be as equally outraged? Doubtful. But regardless, conservatives are going to conservative, and that means be completely hypocritical and cry about cancel culture while simultaneously being the mob that they have historically denounced. And when I say historically, I mean for the past couple of years or so when they made cancel culture the boogeyman. But now cancel culture's back, baby, and they're all in on canceling corporations that go woke, apparently. So, um, yeah, Bud Light isn't the first corporation to be canceled by conservatives, and they absolutely will not be the last. We've reached a frightening new stage of anti-trans vitriol in this country, and we are no longer just talking about regular bigotry against a marginalized group of people. We're talking about calls for public executions discussed openly by prominent people with hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm of course talking about former UFC and MMA fighter Jake Shields, who asked this question to his 300,000 plus Twitter followers, quote, would you support public executions of anyone who helps a child transition? This would include doctors, therapists, teachers, guidance counselors, etc." He adds, things are being pushed to such an extreme that the cure is likely going to be just as extreme. Yeah, he just said that out in the open. Now, you might be alarmed by someone just casually calling for mass murder on an enormous scale, as you should be. But in truth, that is not the first time that this individual has done this. In fact, back in February, he called for teachers to be arrested and executed if they tell children that they can choose their own genders. So he presumably wants to protect minors from gender ideology by murdering teachers. But when it comes to a teacher's aide having sex with a minor, well, he responded to that by saying that she should get a raise. So I'm sure that his concern for minors is completely genuine and totally not politically motivated. But what's different about this particular call for genocide, this particular genocidal tweet, is that he worded it as a question. He was trying to gauge support for his genocidal position from his Twitter followers. And the response by many of his followers, if not most of his followers, was an enthusiastic, unequivocal yes. You see blue check mark after blue check mark responding with a resounding yes, 
Others were joking about making the executions pay-per-view. Another person volunteered to be an executioner. Oh, there's one more person volunteering to be an executioner. This person here writes, public execution is kind of wild. I'm not saying I'm against it, but I'm just saying that's some wild shit to throw out there. Then again, so is changing your gender. So I don't know, LOL. So this person is, uh, I guess, on the fence when it comes to mass murder. Interesting. Uh, just below that comment, someone says they absolutely support it. This person chimes in saying, I would settle for us putting an armband on those who introduced it into the culture. Something to identify them with. Yeah. So if you've ever wondered how German society allowed the Holocaust to happen and uh, wondered how anyone could possibly sit idly by or even support an atrocity on such an unfathomably large scale, we're seeing it happen now in real time. We're watching history repeat itself before our very eyes. And to be very clear here, we are living through stage seven of a genocide, but the difference is the perpetrators of transgenocide, they're not even using euphemisms to cloak their intentions. They're literally just admitting it. And this is purposeful. They want you to be scared. And this conversation about public executions is taking place amid an unprecedented legal attack against trans people alongside a toxic propaganda campaign that portrays trans people as a danger to everyone else, especially children. And and as Alejandra Caraballo puts it, we're at the calling for executions of trans folks and the people that support them stage. This isn't actually asking a question. This is incitement, especially when all the blue check replies are gleefully replying they want to execute trans people. And she's exactly correct here. Now, the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club adds, this was always the logical conclusion, which is why we've been yelling about stages of genocide. If what they say is true, they have to kill us. If we are threats to children and destroying the family and reversing the natural order and lizard alien demons, it goes here. So this isn't just something to put lightly. You can't just dismiss Jake Shields as a kook. This is rhetoric that we see become much more common now. And anti-trans rhetoric has gone increasingly violent specifically on Twitter since Elon Musk took it over. And it's because transphobes now feel emboldened that the owner of this platform frequently also makes transphobic posts himself when interacting with far-right propagandists like Tim Pool, for example. In fact, Twitter even changed its policy to allow harassment towards trans users in the form of deadnaming and purposeful misgendering. Now, given that policy change, you might not expect Elon Musk or Twitter administrators to ban people, even if they're openly calling for mass murder, because that's just kind of being permitted on the platform. But they actually did remove Jake's tweet for violating Twitter's rules. Now, let me just put it this way on Twitter. A transphobic tweet has to be pretty fucking bad in order for them to remove it. But apparently there is a line. And thankfully, that line is support for public executions. How reasonable. But what's interesting is that Jake's other tweet from February, where he called for execution of teachers, hasn't been removed yet. But does that tweet not also violate Twitter's rules? I mean, if so, we have to assume that Twitter allows calls for executions, but if you call for said executions to be public, well, that particularly crosses the line. Now, that explanation wouldn't really make sense because the difference between an execution and public execution and supporting that is pretty thin. 
So it seems weird that that particular tweet was removed, and I suspect that it was removed not necessarily because Jay crossed the line, but because so many blue check transphobes in his replies were salivating over the prospect of a transgenocide. And that's where I think the main issue lies, because savvy transphobes will want to hold those cards close to their chest. And public calls for execution... I mean, needless to say, it makes bigots look bad. It also makes Elon Musk look bad by showcasing how a bunch of motherfuckers who pay for Twitter are just Nazis, straight up. And now their posts are being prioritized because as transphobic as Elon Musk may be himself, he's still a businessman at the end of the day. And seeing how so many blue checks are just straight up Nazis, that's really not going to attract many advertisers, especially the good advertisers who's gonna pay top dollars for ad space on Twitter. But it's not just the post itself that was removed because as I film this, we're all witnessing an active campaign to censor any screenshots of blue checks supporting genocide. As journalist Matt Bender points out, Twitter is removing any screenshots showcasing the uh, blue check marks supporting genocide against trans people. Other users like Jay Aubrey are also reporting that their screenshots are now gone. But unfortunately for Elon Musk, Alejandra managed to save the thread in the Wayback Machine, and now it's there for everyone to see, and I'll link to that down below if you want to read it yourself. So Elon Musk can try to censor these screenshots on Twitter, but people are going to keep posting them, and unfortunately for him, he can't do shit about them on YouTube. So feel free to save all of the screenshots that I shared with you today, because I think that they are very important. Show them to anyone who called you hyperbolic if you used terms like transgenocide. Let people know that this is happening. This is getting extremely dangerous. We're entering territory where American conservatives are in the process of transforming into literal neo-Nazis before our very eyes. This is information that everyone needs to see, and we can use this information to our advantage. And if you are a trans or non-binary American, or you have a family member with a trans child, just take these threats seriously don't just dismiss them protect yourself have an action plan to flee the country or your state have your passport ready understand that these threats are serious and things could get even worse so just don't take them lightly don't dismiss jake shields as a kook understand that what's happening now is something to take seriously i'm not trying to scare you but i'm just telling you you need to have an action plan ready to flee if things get even worse in this country. Because in some states, arguably, we're already at that point where you need to leave. So take this seriously because it is very serious. I wanted to address my senators, Cruz and Cornyn, who uh, neither of whom regrettably are in the room right now. But I would like for them to know that what happened to me, I think most people in this room would agree, was horrific. But it's a direct result of the policies that they support. I nearly died on their watch. And furthermore, as a result of what happened to me, I may have been robbed of the opportunity to have children in the future. And it's because of the policies that they support. What happened to me was horrible, but I am one of many. And quite frankly, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I have a husband that could take me to the hospital. I don't have other children that I had to worry about finding health care for. I have a job that was understanding that allowed me to grieve for three days as I waited to almost die. What about all of the women that don't have 
those same opportunities, that don't have access to health care, that don't have health insurance, that don't have a partner. What about them? We just watched Amanda Zorowski confront her state senators during her testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and I can't imagine that what she did there was easy, but it was absolutely necessary because the policies that her senators support nearly killed her. And because Texas has barbaric restrictions on abortions with vague exceptions, Amanda, along with four other women, are suing the state to get it to clarify when doctors specifically can legally perform emergency abortions for vulnerable women who need them. Because right now, those exceptions exist, but it's still really unclear. The law is written in a way so as to dissuade doctors from performing abortions on women, even in situations when they need them to save their lives. And the vagueness of that law is nearly killing people, literally. Now, with regard to Amanda's particular story, you could really see the trauma in her eyes. And it's sad because that's going to follow her for the rest of her life. But with that being said, she is incredibly lucky to be alive considering how sick she was because of Texas's abortion law. The Houston Chronicle writes, Zorowski was 17 weeks pregnant when she was diagnosed with a condition called cervical insufficiency, which had caused her to dilate too soon for her baby to survive. The morning after her water broke, Zorowski still hadn't gone into labor, but doctors in the emergency room told her there was nothing they could do for her because the baby still had a heartbeat. Zorowski later developed sepsis, a life-threatening condition, and the hospital agreed to perform the abortion. After delivering and losing her daughter, Willow, Zorowski developed a secondary infection and was entered into the intensive care unit where she spent three days. So this was very, very serious. She almost died and she luckily survived, which is good. But still, an experience like that changes you forever. And during her testimony, she referred to the paralyzing trauma that she experiences till this day. And five months ago, she shared her experience with CNN. And I want to share some of that because it's it's difficult to really understand how bad it was when we just read it. But when you see them explain it, it really makes it clear that this this was very scary for her. I was shaking, my teeth were chattering. I was trying to tell Josh that I didn't feel good. Very quickly, she went downhill very, very fast. She was in a state I've never seen her in. The bacterial infection spreading through her body could have been prevented if she'd been provided an abortion. These barbaric laws prevented her from getting any amount of health care when she needed it. Finally, when her temperature hit 103 degrees, her doctors terminated the pregnancy. But Amanda was still sick. Her blood pressure crashed and she needed a blood transfusion. There's a lot of commotion. And I said, what's going on? And they said, we're moving you to the ICU. And I said, why? And they said, you're developing symptoms of sepsis. That was when I was really scared I was gonna lose her. Now, I just wanna emphasize that all of this pain and suffering totally unnecessary. But because Republicans want to control women, this is the result of that. And these stories popped up immediately after Texas's abortion ban took effect. And one woman in particular was told that she literally had to wait until she got infected before they could remove the fetus because it had cardiac activity, despite the chances of it surviving being slim to none. But still, because there was a heartbeat there, the doctor couldn't act. So they told her, 
once you're infected, then come back. You'll know when you're infected because you'll be much more sick and the smell will be terrible. It's just, it's honestly a gut-wrenching story. And other women also had nightmarish experiences in Texas as a direct result, again, of the abortion ban supported by men like Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. Here's another one. Marlene Estelle and A.D. De Silva have always wanted a little brother or sister for their daughter, Adelina. Instead, what they got was a nightmare because of a Texas anti-abortion law. I get so angry that I was treated this way because of laws that were passed that by men who have never been pregnant and never will be. Estelle's nightmare started out as a dream come true. After months of trying, she became pregnant late last summer. We were super excited because we didn't think I could get pregnant. An ultrasound at seven and a half weeks showed all was well. But at an ultrasound two weeks later. She said, there is no heartbeat. There is no viable pregnancy. Stell asked her doctor for a standard treatment, a surgery to remove the fetal remains. She says her doctor refused. That surgery, commonly known as a DNC, is the same procedure used to abort a living fetus. She said, well, because of the new law that's passed, um, you're going to have to get another ultrasound for me to be able to even do anything for you. Overwhelmed emotionally and physically. The pain would get so severe it would be hard to walk. She went to get a second invasive ultrasound at an imaging center, describing it later in a YouTube video. Someone shoves a wand in my sensitive area and tells me, hey, you lost your baby again. I shouldn't have to go through that twice. So you had to hear it twice that you lost a baby. It's gut-wrenching. Sorry. That's okay. Because you already know what you're going to see. It's just like seeing it twice, being told that you're not going to be a mom. Even after that second ultrasound, mm -hmm. would your obstetrician give you the surgical procedure? No. No. Stell had to go get yet another ultrasound showing her dead fetus. So you were walking around carrying a dead fetus? And just emotionally carrying it around and just knowing that there's nothing you could do, it just feels very, it's like I can't grieve or move past it because I'm just walking around carrying it. She ended up carrying around that dead fetus for two entire weeks. I can't imagine what that's like. and. To be clear, she wanted to have a baby, but because doctors wanted to legally protect themselves from legal culpability, she couldn't get the healthcare that she needed. And she had to deal with incomprehensible trauma. But there's another story that I wanna share with you. Kaylee Despain got married in Marble Falls, Texas, right out of college. What were your plans for having a family? Oh man, we wanted kids like right away. Late last year, Kaylee, a third grade teacher, and her husband, Kate, an electrician, were thrilled to learn she was pregnant. But about four months later, at a doctor's appointment, He said, this is what a normal heart looks like, but this is what your baby's heart looks like. And he was missing heart chambers. Her medical records show more. The fetus had an extra set of chromosomes, a severe brain defect, a severe heart defect, and his lungs were too small. Dr. Leah Tatum is a spokesperson for the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. If the fetus develops a term, that fetus will deliver and ultimately that baby will suffocate and pass away. Kaylee's doctor was clear. When he's born, he's going to suffocate to death. He may live for a few minutes, he may live for an hour, but he is going to die. 
Her doctors said they could not perform an abortion, noting in her records, termination is not legal in the state of Texas. I remember her saying, you know, the course of action that I would have taken with a patient a year ago would be to advise them to terminate. She said that is the safest course of action for you, and it's the most humane course of action for him. And I just remember being so angry and shocked in that moment that I'm being told that my child's not going to survive and that I have to carry him to term no matter what. And carrying him to term could have put Kaylee's life in danger. She was at high risk for several potentially deadly pregnancy complications, blood clots, preeclampsia, and cancer because of an abnormal placenta. Now, to be clear, it's not just Texas with stories like this. This is happening all across the country in states with bans on abortion. And Republican politicians who supported these bans, they are directly responsible. But they're cowards who are now refusing to take ownership for the policies that they've promoted for decades now. And I say this because getting back to Amanda's story, John Cornyn, her senator, responded. And here's what he said after hearing her story and after being accused of supporting the law that nearly killed her. Houston Chronicle continues, Cornyn addressed Zorowski's case at another point point in the hearing, he asked a Texas-based obstetrician and gynecologist also testifying before the committee whether the way her doctor handled the pregnancy was a deviation of the standard of care. Quote, back many years ago, I used to handle medical malpractice cases, said Cornyn, a former judge. And usually when a medical expert says what a doctor did violated the standard of care, that gave rise to a cause of action for medical malpractice. So in other words, it's not the law's fault, it's the fault of doctors. Isn't that convenient? So he's trying to back doctors into even more of a corner because if they're too risk averse, well, then they could be hit with medical malpractice suits. But if they're a little bit too hasty in recommending an abortion for a woman who needs it, well, then the attorney general of Texas could go after them for performing an abortion on a live fetus. They're just they're fucked either way, really. Right. <laughs> This is why abortion bans were outlawed. This is why Roe v. Wade became a thing, because things like this. Doctors need to have freedom to make these decisions with their patients. Otherwise, it's going to lead to pain and suffering. And if it is medical malpractice, it is state-mandated medical malpractice. That is your fault, John Cornyn. It is the fault of you and every other lawmaker who is dictating what healthcare is appropriate for people. And to be clear, I'm not simply just advocating for exceptions to abortion bans to become more clear. Abortions should not be banned, period, full stop. The government should not have the authority to play doctor and dictate reproductive health care choices for citizens. That is not a choice that the state should be involved with in any way possible. Abortion is health care, period. And to deny health care to people who need it is a denial of one's human rights. So these so-called pro-life politicians, i.e. forced birthers, they're going to have blood on their hands for the rest of their lives, all because they're too fucking stupid and radicalized to understand that what is best for people is for them to mind their own goddamn business. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, 
iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.